faith. Without that, we have nothing. Without the resurrection of Christ, he doesn't come out of that grave. We have no faith. Our faith is futile, the Bible says. And I read a couple things, and I thought this was so awesome, and I really want to, you know, this for, for soul winning, I want you to use this. Use this right here, what I'm going to tell you, because this is, this is, you know, a lot of times you'll be talking to someone about the Lord, and they'll say, oh, you know, that's just dumb, blind faith, or whatever. They don't, they don't think that there's science involved. They don't think there's any thinking involved. They think they were just dumb, because we believe that some man died for us and rose from the dead. Well, I, I want to read a couple quotes from some people who are not very dumb, and they believe in Jesus. Matter of fact, they're the opposite of dumb. They're about as smart as you can get. How many have ever heard of Harvard? Amen. Harvard Law School. Well, there was a man in the 1700s named Simon Greenleaf, and he was an atheist as he co-founded Harvard, one of, the, one of the founding lawyers there. He was an atheist, and his students began to challenge him, very similar to the first movie of God's Not Dead, to challenge him to the fact that he, could, he needed to disprove that Jesus had not risen from the dead. And so he took the challenge and began to study it out and began to look at it and began to take evidence as a lawyer would. And as he began to study that, instead of disproving the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he got saved Amen. and gave his life to Jesus Amen. because he found so much evidence. Amen? Sure. Sure, of course. Yes. Amen. I, I can't help with how I look. This is how I look. I can't get any better. No make. Amen. Praise God. Yes. No problem. Um, so Simon Greenleaf uh, states this state. I want to make a statement that he made. As he got saved and be, left being an atheist, believed in Jesus Christ, he said, "Let the gospel testimony be sifted, as it were given in a court of justice on the side of the adverse party, the witness being subjected to a rigorous cross examination." The result, it is, it is confidently believed and will be un, an undoubting conviction of their integrity, ability, and truth. And he said, from what I studied out as a lawyer, there, th that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most verifiable event in the history of the world. Amen. That is Simon Greenleaf, one of the co-founders of Harvard Law School. Now, there was one more man named Sir Lionel Lucku. And this man, matter of fact, just died less than 20 years ago. He lived from 1914 to 1997. And he was one of the greatest lawyers in British history. Not even in American, not over here in the United States. Because another thing people think, only us in America believe in this. Well, this is over in Britain. He's a British lawyer. And he is recorded, listen to this, in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most successful advocate ever with 245 consecutive murder acquittals. That's a lot. 245 people in a row that were accused of murder, and he got them off by, his, by being a lawyer. And so he even was knighted twice by Queen Elizabeth II, twice. He made this statement. I humbly add... I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world and am still active in practice. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes, as he says humbly, in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, say unequivocally, that's a tough word to say, amen, unequivocally, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. 
Can you say amen? How many, how many's faith's bigger now? We, we need to understand that this is the real deal. Jesus is not dead. He is alive this morning. Amen. He is sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And that death and resurrection needs to be told, as we talked about at prayer, to the world. We need to go and preach the gospel. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15 for just a few minutes. And y'all can go ahead and put that up so they can see what we're talking about this morning. I want to preach on the compassion for the lost. Compassion for the lost. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit works? We always tell you guys, we don't talk about what they're going to do at prayer or what I'm going to preach about. And there was the verse read from 3 o'clock this morning, go and compel them. We need to go and compel people. Amen. Yesterday we were able to pray with several people. One man named Rufino, be praying for him, said the sinner's prayer with us, said he was going to be here this morning. We'll be believing he's going to come. Amen. Amen. And people are hungry. People are open. People are looking for an answer this morning. Amen. We just got to give it to them. And so I want to talk about compassion for the lost. And I want to show you some things about Jesus. How many like to talk about Jesus? Amen. Luke chapter 15. Verse 1. You there? Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave after, does not leave, sorry, the ninety-nine in which, in the wilderness, and go after the, say this with me, one, which is lost until he finds it, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost." And I say to you that likewise, watch this, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over, say it with me, one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Father, we thank you for the gospel this morning, Lord. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask you to arrest our minds to get us to focus on your word for a few moments here, God, that will help us be the soul winners and the church that you've called us to be, Father. To give us this morning a compassion for the lost and dying world that's outside of these four walls. And, Father, for those that are sitting in here with us in this room, Father, as a body. Touch us this morning, anoint this word, and remove every doubt and remove every fear and remove every spirit that would hinder the gospel and the word from being preached and bringing forth fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Now go over to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. We're going to stay in the gospels for a moment. And I want to show you a few more verses here about Jesus and what his heart is this morning. He says, as you get there to Matthew, he says, I did not come to seek and save that which is found. I came to seek and save that which is lost. Now, I thought about naming this message, I am the one, or you are the one, and that would have worked too, but we got to realize that we are the one that Jesus went after. 
If you're saved in here this morning and you believe in the resurrection and you believe in what Jesus did on the cross for your sins, you realize or need to realize, I'm the one. And you know what that means? That means that if Jesus had to come down from heaven this morning and die again for you, he would do it. Now, I'm not adding a doctrine or saying that he would. We know he doesn't have to. But I want you to know Jesus' heart is that if he had to come back and, and die again just for you or just for me, he would do it. How many believe that? How many believe Jesus has that much love that he would leave the whole, heaven, whole, whole throne of heaven again like he did before and come down here for one person? That's what, that's what the parable tells us. Who wouldn't leave the 99 and go after the one? Matthew 18, verse 10. It's the same parable, but it's written a little different. He says, take heed. Take heed. Now, when he says take heed, he's saying, listen, I'm giving you a warning that this is important, what I'm about to say. That you do not despise, here it is again, one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels, and he's talking about specifically here kids, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is already found. No, which is what? Lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one? That is strain. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. I want to read that again. Sometimes we think Jesus is so focused on us, he's focused on the lost. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us, doesn't mean he doesn't care for us, but there's something about if you really want to get into the heart of God, you get to a place where you focus on what his heart is, which is the lost. When you are concerned about the lost, you have the heartbeat of God. When you are concerned about the hurting, you have the heartbeat of God. It is not the heartbeat of God to be concerned about what I need. Or to be concerned about what the church needs. Or to be concerned about what my family needs before I'm concerned about what is God's heart, which is the lost. And the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. And so if I'm focused on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then I know that all the things I need are going to be added unto me because I'm about the Father's business, doing what he asked me to do, which was to go after the lost and the ones who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who don't know the truth. And he says, I rejoice more over the one that comes back than the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will, watch this, it is not the will of your Father who's in heaven that even one of these little ones should perish. That even one. Why does he say one so many times? Because he wants us to understand, I matter. I matter. You matter. We have this move today of lives matter, right? Everybody put their color there, their race there, and they say these lives matter. That's all lie. All lives matter. Can you say that this morning? All lives matter. Me and Dwayne and Jose were standing over there in that neighborhood on the corner, black, white, and Hispanic, making a statement. All lives matter. Not one color, not one race, 
not one group of people. All lives matter. And I'm going to say that till I get a solid amen from you, making sure you still believe that this morning. Jesus died for all lives. Don't get caught up in one color that matters. All lives matter. His blood was shed for every race. His blood was shed for every color. His blood was shed for every denomination. His blood was shed for every country, every citizen, every city, every person, every house. It was for everybody. All lives matter this morning. Amen. They said someone, some lady walked by and said, y'all look like you're looking for a fight. I said, we are. We're fighting the devil out here right now. Amen. We're making a statement that the devil is defeated. Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's nothing like going out and looking for the lost and being concerned about the lost and being concerned about what is the Lord's heart. Amen. So how many get the understanding there that he says one, one life matters. One person that needs to hear the gospel is worth everything that we're doing this morning. Amen. Go to the book of John chapter 11, and I really want to show you the heart of Jesus this morning. John chapter 11. Give me a good solid amen when you get there. We're going to see in just a moment the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. I want to show you this morning something very powerful and very profound. I have behind me compassion for the lost. God wants us to be compassionate for the lost. Amen. And how many know that God only doesn't only want us to be compassionate for the lost, he wants us to be compassionate for each other. Amen. He wants us to love one another. Pastor Andrews led in on that on the offering. And we have to get to a place where God is is molding us always. And we're saying, Jesus, I want to be more like you, less like this world. John 11:28 says, and when this is the story of Lazarus. Many of you know that, and I actually read out of 1125 last week when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, do you believe this? They said, yes, I believe you, the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And so Lazarus is dead, and, and she's, she's distraught, and she's thinking everything's over. How many have ever lost a, lo- a close loved one? And she, she's thinking, Jesus, if you would have got here earlier, my brother would not be dead. And she was very, very upset. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and we're going to pick up in verse 28. And he says, it says, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, she's going to the grave, she's going to the tomb to weep there. And then Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I could go in a whole other direction on a whole other message here. There's a whole other thing that could be preached there, but that's not where I'm going to go this morning. But he says, the Bible says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. 
Another thing, another translation says he was moved by the Spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says there, Jesus wept. Now, I want you to know why Jesus wept. Because there's two people we need to have compassion for this morning. One is those who are hurting. Those who are hurting. We need to have compassion for those who are hurting. And guess who are those who are hurting? Everybody. Maybe not at this moment. Maybe not today. But not one person in here has gone through their life and not been in a moment where they're hurting. Maybe you're hurting right now. Maybe you were hurting last week. Maybe you'll be hurting next week. But the call to the, to the church of Jesus Christ is that we would have compassion one for another. Jesus was not weeping because Lazarus was dead. Are you with me? Jesus was not weeping because Lazarus was dead. That would be ridiculous because Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he, he wasn't like worried, well, maybe this is not going to work out, so I'm sad. He was not worried. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's God. But he was moved with compassion because he saw the pain of Mary and Martha and the others. What is wrong with us as people if we can see somebody hurting as believers and not be moved with compassion that they're hurting? What is wrong with us if that does not bother us, if that does not move us? And I'm not talking just about being a crier. Some people don't cry, but at least be moved. Some people show that more on the outside. I'm one of them. doesn't take much for me to cry. I get moved by a lot of things. And one time in my life, or I should say more than one time in my life, I have erroneously said, God, help me not be such a crybaby and cry about things. And at the same time, I said that I stopped myself and said, God, don't take that from me. Because I want to stay compassionate. I want to stay caring about people. I don't ever want to get to a place where I just saw that. Moved by the needs of people. And moved by the hurts of people. Those that I care. I want God's heart. God could never see somebody hurting and not be moved. So he was not moved that Lazarus was dead. He was moved that, that they were hurting. And I've been talking about this lately a lot. How when God came down from heaven and took a human body form he did not really know what he was getting into he really could not understand and this is what i this really brings into perspective what i've been talking about about that part when it says jesus wept is that it shows here that he literally at that moment was moved by compassion that he did not know what that felt like to feel the pain of sorrow that somebody else was feeling do you realize that this morning He's God in a human body. And all of a sudden, an emotion comes upon Jesus. Can you imagine you being God in a human body, and all of a sudden water begins to come from your eyes, and you begin to feel an emotion being God that he is a human being had never felt. It says he wept. He wept. He wept over the fact that his family and his friends were what? Hurting. He was moved with compassion for that. 
Now I want to show you the second. If you'll go over to Luke 19, back in the, uh, the book of Luke 19, I want to show you the other person or people that God and Jesus wants us to have compassion for. Luke chapter 19. The first one is people who are hurting. Here's the second people we should be compassionate about. Verse 41, give me an amen when you're there. Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. Verse 41, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this day and hour, sorry, in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you in one stone upon another because you, watch this, did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus now, the other chapter is him having a compassion for a person and they're hurting as far as sorrow pain loss grieving now he's showing us the compassion of the lost souls of a city the other people we need to have a compassion for are lost souls do you understand this morning a very sad statement Do you realize a very sad statement that is very true is that many people will reject Jesus and go to hell? I'm not saying that to damper the message or or to change the, 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 the spirit of the message, but I'm trying to get you to understand that's a fact. Jesus did not say that the way to heaven was broad. He said the way to heaven was narrow. And it doesn't mean that people can't find it. It means people don't want to find it. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to change. They don't want to give their hearts to the Lord. They don't want to leave their sin. They want too much their drugs. They want too much their relationships. They want too much their lust. They they can't let go of those things. And the simple fact is many people are going to go to hell, not because they have to, but because they've rejected Jesus' plan of salvation. And Jesus looked out over that city and he saw Jerusalem that looked so pretty and so beautiful that he came to save. And he looked at that city and he said, my God, I can't do anything but cry because very soon, because of the hardness of these people's hearts, this city is going to be destroyed. And did you know that 40 years later, in 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, over one million Jews were killed? Over one million were killed, just as he prophesied. He did not prophesy that for it to happen. He prophesied because he knew it was going to happen. And we've got to get to a place where we look at Denton, Texas. And we've got to get to a place where we look at Crum and Sanger and Corinth and Dallas and the United States and the world and say, my God, can you save this world, please, Lord? And we need to have a compassion for the lost and say, God, please have mercy on people's souls. Please don't let people go to that place where the worm does not die and the fire does not go out. God, please have compassion compassion on the lost Lord please and Jesus is praying for the lost souls that they would be saved 
So we need to pray for those who are hurting. We need to have compassion for those who are hurting, and we need to have compassion for the lost. How many agree with that? Amen. Amen. Compassion for the hurting and compassion for the lost. It has to be in us. But I want to bring it home this morning because we read a few verses in discipleship yesterday that, that talks about the fact that I have, to, I have to be able to understand that I can't say I love God if I don't love the people around me. And so I'm never going to be able to have the compassion to reach the lost if I don't have the compassion for the people that God puts around me. And so revival, church, starts at home. Revival starts in the house. Judgment always comes first to the house of God. The word of God always comes first to the house of God. Change this morning does not begin with you. It begins with me. And you should be saying the same thing to me. Change does not begin with you. It begins with me. Change does not begin with your spouse. It begins with you. Change does not begin with your kids. It begins with you. Change does not begin with your neighbor. It begins with you. Change does not begin with anybody else but you. Change and revival starts right here in my heart when I say, God, I need the compassion that you have. I need the compassion. You say, I don't have it. Ask for it. God will give it to you this morning. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read a verse we read yesterday in Men's Discipleship. Ephesians chapter 4. How many give me just a few more minutes? Now we're back in the house. We're talking about how how we treat one another, not just in church, but in work and, and family and people that are around us. Amen. We've got to have not perfection, but we've got to have compassion. I was saying yesterday, we were walking by a house and they were rebuilding it. And these guys were putting old pieces of wood back up on the house. Like old pieces. And I have a lot of experience in construction. And I told the guys, I said, what they're going to do is put that old wood back up and paint it over. And no one will ever know the difference if it's new or old. And I said, paint is like the blood of Jesus. Oh, lost my mic, sorry. Wow. Whole mic came out. I said, paint is like the blood of Jesus. It covers a multitude of sins. You can put a paint on an old house and it looks nice. You can cover up all kinds of problems. The blood of Jesus does that. But let me tell you something. Compassion covers a lot of problems. When you begin to say, God, give me a heart of compassion, it begins to cover a lot of problems. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. If you're there, give me an amen. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor sorry, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be mean to each other. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. I want to have a more tender heart. Forgiving one another. And this is what we have to remember. Even as God in Christ forgave me. Got to remember that I have to be able to remember that I can give what I have received. God loved me so much and he, and he forgave me from what I've done. I must do that to the other people around me. So read that again with me. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Then Colossians chapter 3. 
I'll give you a second to go over there. I just want you to look at, I've got a couple more verses here, of just how, how far compassion can take us. You know what I'd rather be guilty of? I'd rather be guilty of compassion than anything else. Oh, he was too compassionate. I'll be guilty of that. I'd rather be guilty of that. I want to be a person who has the compassion of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, how many else want that? You want to be compassionate this morning, amen? Verse 12 and 13 of Colossians 3, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, look at this, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, And if anyone has a complaint against another, here we go again. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Can I read it again? Therefore, how many are the elect of God? Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. That means I've got to make a decision. Some people say, I'm not kind, I'm not tender. It's a decision. It's a choice. We have to put that on. We have to, just like we have to put clothes on in the morning, I have to say, God, I need to put on mercy. I need to put on a tender heart. I need to put on love. I need to put on humility. I need to put on meekness. I need to put that on. And help me, Lord, not to be like I am. Amen? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Amen. Amen. You'd be amazed what compassion will do. You'll be amazed at how far compassion will take you in life. I would rather have somebody tell me, man, that guy, he was so compassionate to me. He saw beyond my failures. He saw beyond my problems. And he saw the good in me. Because it sounds like that's what Jesus would do. Didn't Jesus look beyond our, our problems and look beyond our sins and look beyond our shortcomings and say, I believe that behind all that mess is somebody good. Yesterday when I was talking to this man, we were talking to this man on the street, I did not tell him anything about his clothes or, or anything about it. I just said, you know what, you're a good man. When you tell someone they're a good man, well, it goes a long ways. You're a good man. I don't know the guy, but I believe somewhere inside him he's good. How many knows everybody's got some good in there somewhere? Look beyond the bad and see the good, and you'll be amazed at how people will listen to you when you say, you know what, I believe you're a good man. I believe you're a good woman. They might not even be a good person, but they say, wow, I've never been told that before. I think I might try that. They might be a horrible person. No one's ever told me I was good. No one ever told me I had anything good on the inside. We'd be amazed at what words can do when they come with a heart of compassion. 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll end with this one. Verse 8. Finally, all of you, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Now, just like Pastor Andrew said in the offering, family has problems didn't say love perfect. He said love as brothers. You don't stop loving someone in your family because they're 
dumb or a jerk or mean or act a fool. They're still your blood. You'll always love them. Doesn't mean you want to hang out with them, but you'll always love them. Doesn't mean you're going to do everything together, but you love them. They're brothers. Not everybody in the church has the same uh, hobbies, has the same things in common. But God has called us to love one another. And that means I've got to look beyond and, 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 and look with faith into people's lives and love as brothers. Watch, here we go again. I, I'm, I'm seeing a trend here of a word. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Paul gave me a great movie. Paul and Brenda lent us a great movie. Me and my mother and father-in-law watched it last night in Kristen about a football story. I won't give the story away because you, you might want to see it. It's a great movie, though, called My All-American. And the thing I caught of that is the beginning, just a part of it was that this, this guy was a great football player, and he was the star. He knew he was good, but he was humble. You can be good and be humble. Amen. You don't have to be good and be a, a punk. You can be good and be humble. And then one of the things that attracted people to this guy was that he was good, but he was nice. And he was humble. And in the school, they had this big, and he was short. He was really good, but he was short. Not given the whole movie, trust me. And this big dude came. He was like five, six inches taller than him. And the coach was like, yeah, we got this new player. And he's going to be the star this year. He's going to do great things for us. He's going to take us to the championship. You can imagine how that would make someone on the team feel who's been the star, who's been the stud, who's been the leading running back. And, and so at first he caught that and he thought, man, this would be a moment for me to get jealous right here. This would be a moment for me to be like, man, I got competition here. Man, this would be a moment for me to, I, we got to figure out how I can break this guy's legs or how I can mess him up or how I can, I can't have him take my position. You could just see in his face at first, he's like, oh boy, what am I going to do here? Well, they start having some sprints and everybody's running. And if anybody's ever played sports, I said it while we were watching the movie. Oh, that's the worst part of sports is preseason. How many sports people can say amen to that? Mike, it's good to have you back. Hey, man, Mike just got back from Malta playing the season of professional basketball over there. Preseason's horrible, huh? No fun. But that's what helps you win games, amen? But you run in sprints, no ball. That's the worst part. I hate running without a ball in my hand. I'll run all day long if I got a ball in my hand. Football, basketball, baseball. But if I got to run with nothing, I ain't doing it. But in preseason, you got to do it. So they're jumping jacks, they're jumping up and down, they're, they're running, they're jumping, they're dropping, they're getting up, they're running, they're sprinting. And so now this guy, he has a thought. He says, you know what, I, what can I do to win this guy? He doesn't say it, he just says, what can I do to win this guy? So he runs up behind him in the line, and instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to beat you this year, and you're, you're not going to take my spot, he says, man, you're really going to help us. That's crazy in sports. He says, man, you're really good and you're going to help us. You're going to help us win a state championship. And the guy goes back to him and says, state championship? You guys haven't won a game in like five years. He says, you're going to help us win the state championship. So he puts these words in of encouragement to this guy. So instead of re reveling and bite, backbiting, he says something positive to him. And he affirms who this guy is and gives him acceptance. Y'all with me? And then the, then the coach blows the whistle, and he blows him off the line and beats him by 20 feet in the sprint. 
after he lifted him up and said, you're going to be great on our team. And he didn't have to say, I'm better than you. He just was. He just ran and beat him by 20 feet. Now, other dude's probably thinking, this dude just told me I'm going to do great things. And he just lifted me up. But then he whooped me. But he, then he came and shook my hand and said, we're going to win a state championship together. How many are following what I'm saying? You don't have to compete. You can work together. And words of encouragement go a long way in building a team. Long ways. And I just love, you need to see the movie because he challenged me as a leader to want to be like that. To want to continue to believe in people. Being in the ministry can cause you to stop believing in people. I don't ever want to stop believing in people. You stop believing in people, you stop believing that God can use them and change them, you're doing nothing in the ministry. We have to believe that love and compassion is like paint, and it covers a multitude of sins. I'm not talking about looking beyond a sin in someone's life or, or allowing someone to sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about looking at the big picture. And he says, not returning evil for evil, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, Listen, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. God sees everything, church. Amen? He knows our hearts. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I said that was the last one, but I want to give you something else. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. How many are still here? Tell someone next to you, this is going to change your life. Tell someone next to you, I want the compassion of Jesus. My All-American. My All-American. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Give me an amen when you're there. Blessed be the God and Father, first chapter 1, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those, this is going back to the beginning, who are in any trouble, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, watch this, as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ Jesus. It's that too much who, to whom too much is given, much is required. The, the more love I understand of Jesus, the more I know I must give that love. You know that love goes a long ways. Compassion goes a long ways. Thinking about the, the thoughts and the hurts and the needs of other people goes a long ways. We need to practice those things, even in the church. We need to practice those things where, where maybe you're, you're here and you're antisocial maybe you're, or you don't like to talk as much as other people or you don't like to shake hands as much as other people. Try to, try to put on, not a front, but put on a, a spirit of friendliness. When we do that greeting and stuff, that you'd actually go out of your way to find someone you don't normally talk to and shake their hand or give them a hug and say, it's so good to see you. Amen. I believe that in general, we're a very friendly church. Everybody can be better. Everybody can be more friendly. Everybody can be more loving. 
Don't be that person that everybody knows, I can't say hi to her, or I can't say hi to him, because I'm going to get a look. Or I'm going to get looked past. Don't be that person. Come on. Be that person that they say, man, they're so friendly. They're so nice. They're so compassionate. I want to be more guilty of that. I don't want to be guilty of the other. Be that person. This is put on. Remember it says to put on. That means I've got to, I've got to mentally say, okay, this is not me. This is not normal. This is not my, my strength. But Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be more friendly. I can be more personable. I can be more loving. I can be more compassionate because you were. So help me be that way too. If you'll just ask, God will give it to you. If you'll just say, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm not very good in this area because we all have areas we're not good in. Help me be better in this area, Father. Help me. Because listen, that statement, I've been using it for over 20 years. People don't know, care how much you know till they know how much you care. You can tell people all day long whatever you want to say, but if you don't care and they know you don't care, you might as well speak it to the wall. Can I say that again? You can have all the right words. You can say all the right things. You can be living a perfect life. But if you don't have love and compassion and don't say it in a way that's real, it's going to go right to the wall and bounce right back. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. How often do you call somebody or talk to somebody just to say, hey, how you doing? How are things going? Come on, it's getting quiet in here. Not just when we need something or not just when we're going to talk about something, but just to say, hey, how you doing? How are things going? What's going on? How, how is life? That's, that's something we've got to work on. we all got to work on that. Amen? we all got to work on that. Musicians, you can come. One more verse, Ezekiel 36. I want to end here. Because one of the key words here in, in the verses we read was tender-hearted. We need to have a tender heart. Okay? We're not born with a tender heart. We're born with a heart, the Bible says, of stone. The Bible says we're born with a heart of stone, meaning we're not born loving, we're not born giving, we're born hating, we're born stealing, we're born uh, obnoxious. We're born all those different things. We have to learn how to love. We have to learn how to give. We have to learn how to not take. Am I talking to any real people in here? Yeah. Flesh wants to hate. Flesh wants to uh, criticize. Flesh wants to look down. Flesh wants to be mean. Flesh, 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 flesh. Well, the Bible says don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. So you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen. We need to walk in the spirit and allow God to soften our heart this morning. And this is what Ezekiel 36 says, one of my favorite verses. 25 to 27, if you're there. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean. I'm here thankful we can be clean this morning in Jesus. Clean. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, shall be clean. Listen, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. And your idols. Oh, I ain't got no idols. You're lying to yourself. Everybody has idols. Not on purpose, but everybody has idols. Everybody's dirty. 
He says, I'll clean you. I'll cleanse you from your filthiness and your idols. Now watch this, the best part. He says, I will give you a new heart. Does anybody in here want a new heart? Guess what I want? I want a new heart today. I don't want yesterday's heart. I want a new heart today. I want to be more compassionate today. I want to be more loving today. I want to be more, more thoughtful today. And I'll put a new spirit within you. A new spirit within you. Here's what he says he does. He does surgery. He says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? It means a moldable heart. Whenever we reject and push away the Holy Spirit dealing with us and talking to us and ministering to us, every time we do that, our heart gets harder. We need to be saying, God, I'm, I'm open, I'm vulnerable. I'm laying out before you and this might hurt. Please take this heart of stone from me. And give me a heart of flesh. Give me a heart that's moldable. Give me a heart that, that's touchable. Give me a heart that's tangible. Lord, give me, my, my heart maybe has been stomped on before, but put a new one back in, Lord. And when you put the, listen, when you put the new one back in, let me just tell you something. This has been my prayer a lot of times over the years. When you put a new one back in me, let me believe and see things the way you do and not the way that old heart did that was just stomped on. If you ever have your heart stomped on, say, God, when you put that new one in again, let it have a short-term memory. Let it forget what happened yesterday. And that's why the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. So put a new one in me. Put a new spirit in me. And he says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them.